solo, as in Hope Solo, which obviously she's learned, don't criticize your opponent. Isn't it odd when we uh, criticize athletes for not speaking like truthfully and from the heart, and then when they do, we criticize them for speaking honestly and truthfully from Han Solo? That would be a case of don't criticize your son because you might end up with a lightsaber in your belly. Then there's flying solo. Okay, flying solo is cross-country. Props out to Debbie for her solo. Then flying solo, going out alone. So flying solo kind of has two different meanings, both an airplane meeting and, and a dating or going out on the town meeting. Then there's free solo, okay? A free solo is when you're rock climbing without a rope or without pro. Um, uh, red pointing in free soloing is an extreme exercise. Okay, there's a backcountry solo, which is hiking by yourself, a pleasant walk. Solo like singing. There's guitar solos, there's key solos, there are horn solos, there are drum solos. How about a bass solo sometime? Can we, can we get a name? Yeah, exactly. We should have more bass solos at Timberwood Church. And of course, the red solo cup, made famous by college students and Toby Keith, <laughs> and picnics around the world. Well, flip clip with Jimmy Kimmel. Oop, one. That's the first time I've ever done that. In 1936, okay, in 1936, Leo Hulstman starts the Paper Container Manufacturing Company on the south side in Chicago, Illinois. Ultimately, it gets moved to Lake Forest, Illinois. In the 1940s, they manufacture a paper cone cup for use at water bubblers. I prefer coolers, but bubblers is more fun to say. Water bubblers slash coolers. In 1950s, okay, they start the wax line cups for cold beverages. This would be the start of something that later down the road Starbucks would take and others would take advantage of in using. Then it was in the 1970s that the iconic red solo cup was introduced to the world. Now, originally it was perfectly round, okay? The copy that you have before you today was actually debuted in 2009. In 2005, there was just a landmark in which two, two little recessed panels were added to the perfectly round red solo cup to make it easier to pick up and less likely to slip out of one's hand. And then in 2009, the square bottom, which again was pretty controversial, was introduced and, well, at any rate, the red solo cup, there are also blue solo cups and yellow solo cups, but the red solo cup commands a 60% market share of all the solo cups that are sold. They hold beverages, yes, but also games like Flip Cup. <laughs> Can't get it right now. Decoration, you can use them for decoration, even a place to start plants. The more research I did about the red solo cup, the more I doubt the wisdom of using it as an illustration. So in case that I've offended you, I um, apologize in advance. We'll get back to the Red Soul Cup in just a little bit. Page 1034 is where we find ourselves today. The last part of chapter 11, starting with verse 17. Let's make it verse 15, huh? 15, 17. Let's start at 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, 
and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great alike, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Now again, this is the perspective that we're operating from, okay? And, and we're guided in this by um, Greg Beal, okay? Is that the seven trumpets, okay, are the same thing, roughly, as the seven seals and the seven bowls, which we'll get to. And they are different takes of describing what the end of the world will look look like and the start of eternity. Three ways of looking at the same set of events. Now, you don't have to agree with Beale on this, okay, and that's fine, but that's just kind of the take that we're going with. Now, again, when we get to the number seven, we get to this idea of completeness, of being finished, of perfection, and that event, i.e., in this case, seven relating to the seventh trumpet, the end of the world, Well, this seventh view gives us a little bit of a different perspective than what we've seen to point. Robert Coleman argues the first song that we sing here, the kingdom of the world has come, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, is the kingdom carol. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If any of you want to break into a little George Handel, this would be an appropriate time right now because this is the refrain of the Hallelujah Chorus. Intriguingly, the Holy Spirit is absent or seems to be absent from this formula. Our Lord and his Christ So is the Our Lord the Father, or is the Our Lord the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and His Christ, the Jesus, that we have come to know from a tiny little baby to a grown man who dies for our sins and is resurrected by the power of God? The enemies are defeated. This is the end of the end. The beginning of the end was the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or you could argue the beginning of the end was the point when Jesus was chosen. But John sees this. We are at the end. And the 24 elders from chapter 4, which we understood back then, were perhaps representative of priests, of gatekeepers, of worship leaders, the combination perhaps of 12 patriarchs and 12 apostles surrounding the throne are worshiping God. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Verses 17 and 18. We give thanks to you, Lord Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. This second song, if you will, in this short little bit of scripture, is entitled The Song of Judgment by Robert Coleman. The one who is and was. And then it changes. 
Remember earlier in the book of Revelation when it talks about God, the one who is and who was and is to come? But here it changes. It changes midstream. Instead of who is to come, that which is to come is present tense. And it is the kingdom in all of its glory. The kingdom composed of every tongue, every tribe, every language. This kingdom, the victory of God. And this is now a solo act. The competition is over. And it's time at that point for a dividing line to be drawn. And the dividing line draws right down the middle between the servants of God, the people who have followed God, and the people who have not. The reward comes to the servants of God, to the prophets, to the saints, to those who fear small and great alike. The reward of God given to the faithful who have followed God. Now, in all of this, it's kind of intriguing, or at least it can be kind of confusing, because in the Old Testament, you have this group of individuals who in various shapes or form are known as the nation of Israel, and they are chosen by God to do something significant, okay? And then you have, in the New Testament, this same group of people, although they're called something different. By same, I mean the people of God, not that they're ethnically Israelis. And they're called the church. And one of the great controversies of Revelation is, okay, what happens in the Old Testament? Does it come to fulfillment in the New Testament? And are the people of God in the Old Testament the same people of God in the New Testament? Or does the church replace the nation of Israel and all this kind of stuff? And to be truthful, it kind of makes your head spin if you think about it. But if we just read the text... And we think in terms of what the text says. The kingdom of God and his rule and reign is this big, huge circle. And that big, huge circle, the kingdom of God, and the people who are attached to the kingdom of God, has always existed. Long before there was 12 tribes that were chosen or even born, there were people who followed God. Most notably, some dude named Enoch who lived, what was it, 360-some years, and then he was just gone. He didn't even have to die. He just went right to heaven. Coolest thing in the world. A person who followed God, a person who was a part of the kingdom of God. We could probably also put people like, like I don't know, I think Abraham. I think we could certainly put Moses. I think we would probably put Noah. We would put a lot of people in the Old Testament who followed God. And likewise, there were some people in the Old Testament, even if they had ethnic Hebrew blood running in them, that were not a part of the kingdom of God, i.e. a character named Achan, in case you have read the book of Joshua. Likewise, we have individuals in the New Testament who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are part of the church and followers of Jesus Christ, and because of that, they are part of this kingdom of God. And what we see here isn't an ethnic identity. You don't have to have the right kind of blood coursing through your veins. What you have to have is an identity that comes to those who are servants of God, those who have followed God, those who know Jesus as their Savior. Now, to be sure, the list starts off with some pretty heady concepts, right? The prophets, the saints. Now, certainly, I would not identify myself as one of the Old Testament prophets. 
mainly because I would be much older. But I wouldn't even fit in that category, okay? Likewise, I would even though the Bible suggests we who are in Christ are saints, I would probably back away from being called a saint, if nothing else, out of northern Minnesota self-restraint. So the list starts off with some pretty heady concepts. But we also understand that even for those of us who don't think highly of ourselves, that all those who fear God, small and great alike, so whether you regard yourself as the biggest of the big or the smallest of the small, that is not the deciding factor. The deciding factor is whether or not you are part of the kingdom of God whether or not I am a servant of God, whether we are followers of Jesus Christ. And the reward of God, eternity with him, is given to these faithful. Have you ever thought what it means to be faithful? If you were to ask of your own soul, what does it mean to be faithful? Faithful to our families, faithful to our, our spouses, faithful to our, um, our employer, faithful to the people who work for us, faithful to our friends, faithful to who we are as individuals. What does it mean to be faithful? The reward of God is given to the faithful. Specifically, what does it mean to be faithful to the God of the universe? Now, it's easy when we think in terms of a spouse. We're, we're faithful to our spouses when we, when we love them exclusively in a very unique and special way. When we don't share that intimate love with anyone else, where we do not give our heart away to anyone else. But our spouse is right next to us. What does it mean to be faithful to God? I ask you a couple questions this morning, and they're questions of my own soul that I ask. What is God asking us to do? What is God asking me to do? What is God asking you to do? To what role is God inviting our fidelity? To what role is God inviting your fidelity? And we know it doesn't have to be a big thing because the text already covers that. The text says there's small and there's great, okay? So, so the role can be a little bitty tiny role. It can be something very small, very insignificant, or so we think. Or it can be a big thing. It can be a gigantic thing. It can be a thing that we can't do on our own. Or if we can do it on our own, we need a lot of other help in doing it. Since there are very few things that even those of us who think we do things on our own, we're really dependent on a larger community. So I ask, what is God asking you to do? What is God asking us to do? To what role is God inviting our fidelity? One small example, okay? 
this whole church plant idea, right? Okay. A lot harder than I thought it was going to be. A lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So last fall, you pledged, and, and we, we raised, I think, an incredible number, and, and, and people have been giving, and we are ready to go. We have money ready to go, okay? But we've said we need to find the right person, the right spouse, and the right family. A lot harder to find that person than we thought. We've been talking with people. We've been engaging with people, okay? We've had conversations here. We've pushed. We've pulled. Some people have expressed a lot of interest, and we've been like, eh, I'm not quite sure, So that seems like a really, really big thing, right? Because we get to be a part of of the work of God going forth in a unique area, okay, that hopefully gets to a point where it's operating independently on its own, like we are operating independently on its own. Yay, God, big thing, large thing, huge community influence. But what we've discovered so far, if we spend a lot more time on prayer than anything else, And that's a pretty small thing. And so I would ask, maybe God's asking you to pray for this church plant. Maybe God's asking me to pray more for this church plant. Maybe God is asking and preparing our hearts to be a part of this church plant, to leave, that might be a medium-sized thing, right? to leave Timberwood Church and be a part of the church plant, have our hearts ready to make that move when the time comes. Or maybe there's someone here today who says, hey, I want to be the church planting pastor. That would be a pretty big thing. What is God asking you to do? One, just one, one small, and there's a bunch of different areas in which you can be involved, right? From small to great things. Now just apply it to your individual life. The reward of God is given to the faithful, to those who follow God. What is God asking you to do? Maybe it's to love your spouse like she should be loved. (laughs) Nope, not that one. Text goes on. Because 17 and 18 the psalm of judgment. Judgment is good for the followers of Christ. Judgment is a tough time for those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. So the second part of 17 and 18 is the other side of the line. Verse 18, the nations raged. Man, have we observed that throughout human history. Human run organizations, entities, nations raging against one another. But your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the destroying the destroyers of the earth. The reward of God is played off against the judgment of God. The nations have raged, fighting for what they could get. Your wrath came. It's the picture of God that makes us most uncomfortable, Yet really, it shouldn't. The wrath of God shouldn't make us uncomfortable. If the wrath of God doesn't come, then how is evil punished? 
And if evil is never punished, how is that justice? How is that any sort of economic system in which evil never has to face its consequences? And I know sometimes in the temporal sense, it seems like evil gets to win. But please understand, that is not the perspective of the book of Revelation or the rest of the Bible. Evil does not get to win. God's wrath does come, and it comes against those who are not faithful, who are not his servants, who are not a part of the kingdom of God, even though some of those people might appear to be good people. There's no setting on this line. There's no sitting on this fence. Revelation makes it painfully clear. You're on one side or the other. I'm on one side or the other. And on this side, where the destroyers are being destroyed, well, the picture seems to be one that is quoted from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 51.25. For those of you that want to show up on Wednesday night, you'll get to that in a few weeks. The text concludes, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the, his covenant dun, 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 was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Okay, so these, uh, these meteorological descriptions are something that the book of Revelation uses repeatedly to say, hey, this is it. This is the exclamation point on human history. We are, whoop! This is happening right now. This is sort of the cacophony of musical instruments that are coming together to announce something significant has happened. The metaphor here, the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, going all Indiana Jones on the bit. We kind of scratch our heads, right? Because in Revelation 21-22, there's an indication that there is no need for a temple. And so if there's no need for a temple... Where would the ark be? Well, you have to understand that the ark is the power and the presence of God. In the Old Testament, it is the power and presence of God. It is the object that the followers of God in the Old Testament, specifically the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, would carry before them. It was a reminder of God being with his people. It carried some of the signature points of Old Testament history affirming God's activity. It was a place of forgiveness. It was the complete package. And that is what John sees at the end of human history. Being reminded of the presence of God now and eternally. Being reminded of the presence of God now Sometimes it's so easy to forget this. Do we really know that by virtue of the activity of the Holy Spirit, God is with us right now? Do we really believe what the Bible says to be true, that God's activity in his created order means that the Holy Spirit is with us now? You might say, wait a second, but it's not now like this, and I completely agree. The fullness of who God is 
the, the, the uniting of the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, and that there is no duality, no duet going on. Yes, that is yet future. But that does not diminish the fact that the presence of God is with us right now. And that means we can ask for God to do things. We can prevail upon God to hear our prayers. Don't forget that God is with us. Do the things that we need to do to remind us that God is with us. Never forget that in your darkest moments, God is with you. Never forget in the moments in which you're running from God, in which I'm defying God, that God is right there saying, come back, follow me. Never forget that God is always reminding us to be faithful to the call of Christ in our lives. Which brings us back to these little things. Solo, and there's no evidence that I could find as to why the dude renamed the company Solo. But Solo is defined as a thing that is done by one person, unaccompanied. And I'm not trying to advocate for any nefarious activity when I give you one of these. What I am trying to do is to give a contemporary reminder that most of us have held in our hands. A contemporary reminder of the next party that you're at, the next picnic that you attend, the next game that you play. That at the end of all things, God is in a solo position. Reigning over all, above all, his kingdom having destroyed everything else. And what Revelation invites us to is a picture of either being united with that kingdom or being separate from it. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time. Father, we know that the start of a relationship with you, the start of entering into your kingdom, is when we cry out to you and say, forgive me. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to be a faithful servant of the Holy God. And that is a beautiful start. A beautiful start to a relationship with the God of the universe. Father, remind us of the things for which we should experience, express fidelity. Invite us to the small and great things to which we should be faithful. And Father, allow your spirit to always remind us that you are with us. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray.